Hey there, I'm Justin Barber, a 22-year-old designer at Google, and this is Shape.Cool, my podcast. In this episode, I talk with my good friend and co-worker, Ayan Daniels. I learned a lot about her experiences as a young black woman in design, and we finish it off by talking about Beyonce's latest album, Lemonade, for a good 20 minutes or so. I'm here with the one and only, Ayan Daniels. Oh my gosh. <laughs> friend slash co-worker. Friend and co-worker. Friend and co-worker. <laughs> Give me the the one minute bio Ooh, of who of who Ayan is. Okay. So I'm Ayan Daniels. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I think one thing that's sort of an interesting thread throughout my life specifically is that I always went to um, Catholic private schools. Most of my experience growing up and even like through to now has been being uh, the only minority or the only mm-hmm. um, woman in, in the room quite frequently, uh, with the exception of high school where I went to an all-girls high school. <laughs> um, the tables have turned. Yeah, so the tables have turned pretty drastically. But I think one thing that I'm always very used to is kind of just being uh, the only person who fits into a specific type. Yeah. Um, so from high school, which was all white, all women, all upper class, um, that wasn't necessarily my background. Um, I'm a black woman. Um, I would consider myself, or at least the way I was raised, to be more middle class. Yeah. Um, definitely didn't have a ton of money the way a lot of my friends did. Mm. Um, so that always sort of pushed me to go a little bit further and not being okay with just the status quo. Um, and I just went to design school and kind of decided to just figure it out from there. I didn't have a bunch of uh, different design things I did in high school. It was just like something that felt right in the moment. And uh, yeah, so now I'm here at Google. Just like that. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. In college, I had like six different internships. I didn't take any breaks when we had the opportunity to take breaks to travel or do anything uh, like that. Like my friends went to Singapore or just like took time off. Yeah. And I knew that I didn't have that that opportunity because if I would do that, I wouldn't be able to reach like my five-year goal at the end of college. Trying to get out as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, But I had zero internships and you had six. Uh, Which is crazy to me. (laughs) That's insane. I just, I decided I was like freelancing a lot. So I just decided to freelance instead of, because I was getting paid more freelancing than working. Like I had one internship that was like, we'll pay you $14 an hour. Oh, that's not bad. It's not bad, but I was like, ah. I can't really make that work. Yeah. When I was in New York for my second internship, uh-huh. I was getting paid $7.50 an hour. No way. Yeah. And that wow. was the depressing few months of my life. And I was like, you can't, can't live can't in New York this. at like $7.50. Oh, crazy. I know. Yeah. I was eating popcorn for dinner. Oh, no. Most wow. Nights. Yeah. Wow. It was I not fun. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe maybe how those internships helped play into where you were to where you are today? I think. If one thing the internships really taught me, it was just I learned a lot about who I am and how other people interpret that person. Mm. Um, for me, I've just always been in a situation where I knew that I was kind of like the odd one out. And now that I'm in a room full of designers and like-minded individuals, more or less, it was sort of interesting for me to find my place in that. Um, and if I didn't have those internships, I really don't think I would be here. Um, talent aside, talent drive is yeah. one thing, but... Um, each internship, I said, I'm going to figure out something really good that I did and something really bad that I did. Okay. And each time, like, I could probably give you, like, a little 
moral of the story for each internship. Yeah. And that moral changed what I did for the next one. Okay. Not only, like, where I applied, but also, like, how I did it. Yeah. Um, like, I, all of my different mentors really gave me, like, a good nugget at the end of my internship that I kind of forced them to give me. <laughs> Not everyone wanted to. Give it to, to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, my first internship didn't go that well, um, just because it was a completely new yeah. environment for me. And my manager told me to really trust my gut because I had the natural instincts, but I just didn't. Um, I wasn't aware of it. Right. And for him to tell me that the next time I came into the second one, much more confident, um, knowing that I wasn't making a lot of money, I wanted to make sure that I made the most out of that experience. So I think each one built on each other and um, sort of twisted where I would be right now. Yeah. yeah. So you've been here at Google for how long? Ten months. Ten months. So almost a year. Yeah. Um, longer than an internship. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. do you feel like has been the nugget so far of what mm. you've learned while you've been here? I think it's just that I can't plan things. Mm. Um, I'm such a big planner in my day-to-day life. I'm someone who always has a five-year plan, five-month plan. Yeah, 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 me too. Um, and since I've been here, you know, I thought a year in or maybe six months in, I would know exactly where I was going and, like, what my next project would be. But there is so much beyond my control here that I just have to become more comfortable with it. And I think um, that's not easy for someone who's a designer who really likes to pixel or make sure everything's pixel perfect. Um, but there's something more genuine and just kind of rolling with the punches yeah. that I think has affected my design in a way that it hasn't in the past. What, like, how has it impacted the design? I just have to be more agile. Um, I think in a lot of my other internships or in a lot of my schoolwork, we have this time where we can just think and think and think mm-hmm. and iterate and um, do what we feel is best for specific designs. Um, But here, there's a lot of different people who have a lot of different opinions. And it's really fun to sort of navigate which opinions matter most and how is that going to, like, translate into the design that you choose. Because inevitably, you can't make everyone happy. And, I mean, that's a universal truth. But um, when it comes to design, the proof is kind of in the pudding, so to speak. So I think it's been interesting for me to navigate the political side as well as, like, the visual side. Yeah, the political side definitely doesn't really exist in school. Like, it's right. kind of like you, your peers, and your professor. And, mm-hmm. um, but then coming to the real world, you know, there's just so much more involved right. in design, like good and, good and bad. Right, right. Um, so you mentioned uh, kind of the, yeah, the politics. Has there been, like, anything else that you've just been like, wow, like, that's a huge difference between um, school and, or even internships and, and kind of the real world and working here. Yeah, this is kind of a weird one, so I don't know <laughs> what it is, but I, I'll just be honest. I think in my life up until now, there was definitely a point in my college career where I went from being sort of like a mediocre designer to being one of the stronger students. Sure, yeah. And I think it was kind of like a big switch. It was, um, it was actually after I finished my Motorola internship. Okay. It was like, okay, I am like... And where was that in the course of your school? That was my third internship, and I was 20 years old. Okay. So that was about three years ago. Yeah. That feels weird. Wow. Um, (laughs) But I remember that was the first time that I was around other interns who Mm -hmm. um, were just as, if not more talented than I was, or further along in the career, I guess I should say. And it sort of uh, lit a fire under me. So after that, going back to school, um, I was kind of like more or less kind of a big fish in a small pond. And now that I'm at Google, I'm around 
everyone's like so smart and so talented and you know me doing just sort of like the bare minimum um I, I couldn't get away with that like yeah. being here is like it's really time to sort of step it up again and um it's kind of an interesting place to be at because you feel as if you've gotten to like this peak at the end of college it's like oh I got one of the best jobs you know right I know right. I did really well here like right. this I've kind of checked that off on my list and I know that like I killed that yeah now that I'm here it's like you know everyone's talented everyone's really smart and how do I step it up to the next level but also like how do I learn from everyone else you know you yeah. don't always need to be like the superstar in the room there's like nothing wrong with being amongst all of these stars and kind of like taking what you can from them like humble yourself and like soak up that knowledge so that's kind of my big thing yeah I was in I remember a meeting I I don't know how so I've been here for almost two years yeah and it was maybe like nine months in or maybe maybe it was after a year I don't know but I was in a, I was in a um a, a meeting with it was kind of a larger one like maybe 10 people or so mm-hmm. and everyone was kind of like talking about this one thing and and I realized that I had something that connected and so um, you know, it kind of takes a lot of courage to like speak of it. And so I, I said something and it like really resonated with everybody. Like, oh yeah, like that's, that's cool. And, and whatever. And so then I was like, all right, like I was able to contribute. And so I was like, I, like, I gotta try this again. <laughs> and so like Addicted. later on, yeah. Right. And so then later on in the meeting, um, I tried to say something and one of the guys kind of looks at me and, and, and I don't know, he, he says something else, but kind of like not really ignored, but just kind of, like, disregarded what I said. Sure. And I was like, oh, man, I had this realization. I was like, wow, like, the guy that I just made a suggestion to has been doing this for, like, longer than I've been alive. Wow. And I was like, who, like, what am I doing here, like, yeah. giving suggestions? And yet, like, here we are, right? right. And so I think that was, yeah, just talking about, like, being in a room full of people who are very smart and very talented, very driven, and yeah. figure out how, how you fit in and what you can offer and when to, like, speak up and when to shut up, kind of. That's... It's difficult to navigate. Yeah, for sure. sure. I think, like, maybe a month in, you said we were... This is kind of weird that I'm bringing this up. But we were in a sprint, and you said to me, like, maybe one thing that you can focus on is just contributing one thing per meeting. Yeah. Or one thing per whatever it is. Yeah. And don't focus on, like, you know, wanting to save the day in the meeting. You don't need to necessarily have, like, some huge haymaker, but just contribute in that one specific way and I think that's one thing that I I think about kind of a lot you know yeah. I'm always thinking like well where is my place in this meeting and how can I contribute yeah the most effectively I so wish I could claim um responsibility for that piece of wisdom <laughs> but that was actually handed down to me do you remember <laughs> from, from who yeah from my mentor <laughs> Hannah so oh, yeah that's what she told me because like I was, re- I was just like, man, I don't know, you know, because you feel useless if you don't say anything, but you right. don't feel like you have the, the credibility to actually say something. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of stuck in this weird place where it's like, no, I'm tracking the meeting and like, I know what's being said and I have thoughts, but you don't really know what to do. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you say the one thing, you get it right. Sometimes you say two things and you should have only said one thing. Right. Sometimes you say two and you get it right, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. Everyone's at a different place in their career. Yeah. And, you know, do they know that I'm at the beginning of mine? Like, does that give me less validity when I'm talking? Yeah. I was just so surprised every time I talked to people, especially one-on-one or, like, um, that everyone was kind of giving us benefit of the doubt and yeah. that, like, no, you do know what you're doing. Yeah. And, like, that's your role. And I think that the, our harshest critics were actually ourselves. Or, like, I know I was my harshest critic. I would, like, beat myself up after, like, I would... It took me, like, you know, 30 minutes to write a two-sentence email. Right. Or, you know, stuff right. like that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the one of the really 
um, positive parts of being here so far, at least for me, has been people who I feel like are supportive and mm-hmm. understanding of, of the situation. Definitely. That we're in. Yeah, and I think I've encountered more people telling me, like, no, follow your gut, you're definitely saying the right thing, than yeah. the opposite. Yeah. And it's, it's really just me sort of knowing where I am and um, being cautious of what I say because of yeah. it. Well, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you kind of just kind of chose design in the moment in college. How did, yeah, how did that happen? So I guess to clarify, it's one of those things where like, as I'm looking back now, there was a lot of, right. yeah. there were a lot of things that I could have been like, you should be in visual design. Like yeah. I had, I designed this website when I was in sixth grade for when we were in computer class mm-hmm. because our teachers blocked Neopets, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like I made this website specifically so that we could play games. And, okay. you know, in my mind, it's like, I'm just being like a fun troublemaker, but like, right. I'm also coding things at like the age of 13 or or no maybe 10 yeah either way but there were definitely the breadcrumbs there um when I was in high school before you could um declare your major or like start doing that uh process to apply to colleges Mm -hmm. we had to do a mini internship and because I was like student council president and like did a lot of stuff like that I thought I am gonna go into business oh so I thought um I'm gonna do my internship and it's like a two-day internship um, at an advertising company. So I went uh, to, I believe it was called Wonder Group or something like that in downtown Cincinnati. Okay. And I was following around marketing people and they had a confidential meeting that I couldn't go to. So they're like, sit with this designer. And I went and I sat with this designer and he was making uh, floor mats for like <laughs> the frozen food section. Okay. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and I was like, you know, maybe I should start pursuing something like this. Yeah. So then I spoke with my guidance counselor, and I had already tested out of, like, Spanish and math. Um, I don't know how, but I was already, like, <laughs> past that point where I didn't need to continue taking them. Yeah. So I went and I started taking design classes. Like, I changed my schedule um, to take design class every single day. Okay. And it just so happened that the design professor at my high school was the wife of the dean of design at my college. Okay. And she gave me a recommendation, so I was able to get into a pretty good design school just based off of someone saying, like, oh, you have a knack for this. Yeah. Um, and I think that was sort of my turning point. Um, I've always been, like, interested in technology and, like, culture, cultural moments, so, like, I think phones and uh, Android was, like, a really natural fit for me. Yeah. Um, when I went to Motorola, I realized, like, I should be doing UI stuff. Like, this is what really gets me passionate because I like the idea of people actually living with my work Mm -hmm. Um, and you know if you're someone who wants to do UI and you're not an Apple fanboy (laughs) Android's kind of like the pinnacle so after Motorola I was like I'm gonna get whatever relevant experience I can to be on Android and um, you know so after that I went and worked at a motion firm thinking like that will make me a more well-rounded designer I did that and I worked at Samsung's innovation lab because I'm like this is obviously directly applicable and um yeah so when I applied I was like there's no way I'm getting this and each step of the interview process I was like there's just no way there's just no way and then before I knew it I was in Mountain View and I'm still thinking there's just no way yeah, yeah. um and then when I got the call like it, I had an embarrassing reaction I like wept <laughs> I was like I can't believe like after all this work I finally got it and yeah um that's so funny that you mentioned that because I woke up the morning after the on-site interview mm-hmm. in Mountain View, and I just remember the very first thought I had was, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah, and but then two weeks later, I got the call from the recruiter, and it's so funny because after the call, I also ended up weeping on my bed <laughs> for various reasons. Yeah. But one of them was it was really just I was like playing back kind of my whole life in my head, and I was just like, wow, like this was gonna happen when. You know, I just kept, I, like, thought back to, like, fourth grade Justin and, mm-hmm. like, this tiny school in Tokyo and, like, yeah. what's up with him, you know, and then <laughs> um, being able to kind of pursue our dreams so early and, yeah, yeah it's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, best part of design at Google so far? Hmm. I think the best part is kind of just being on the other side of something that I've loved so much. Yeah. Um, I've like I've always been an Android user. Like my first smartphone was an Android device, and um, just like the other day, The Verge wrote an article about something that I designed that they thought was uh, really ugly, <laughs> and I geeked out. I was yeah. like, "Yes!" Like I know for a fact that if this was this time last year, I would be reading that article, thinking like, "I want to see that design. Like, what do I need to do to get that design on my phone?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just sort of, it's really humbling, I think, to be on the other side of it. Um, you know, when you read about design work, it's kind of like black and white, like, oh, this is good or this is bad. But then now that I'm actually doing the work myself, I'm like, oh, it's way more complicated than, you know, how big is this stroke? It's like, this was a political decision, you know, (laughs) like there was a lot of people weighing in on this and that's why you guys think it's ugly. But um, I think it's really just kind of a moment of like, oh my gosh, Ayan, like all this work that you've done has kind of paid off in some interesting ways but like to be on the other side of it is just like it really takes me um takes me back you mentioned being an outsider throughout your life how do you feel like that's impacted you as a designer and then you as a person and how you interact with the people around you especially in the context of of work yeah I think the thing about being a designer is that you really have to take risks if you're not taking risks, then your work is sort of irrelevant. Mm. And I think just because of how I've grown up and how I've always kind of been like the minority or the woman in the situation, I'm kind of used to everything being a risk and not really knowing how people are going to react to me. Mm. Um, I think as a designer, that's kind of given me like not an air of confidence, but like knowing that even if things go poorly, I can sort of navigate my way out of it. Um, I think how that sort of relates to who I am now, um, you know, around major tech companies, you're not going to see a lot of people of color, yeah. and you certainly won't see a lot of black women, especially like actually implementing the product, like yeah. maybe on like HR or something. Yeah. Um, but you definitely don't see a lot of us around uh, the technology side. And I think just having that experience of being used to being the only person looking like me in the room has helped me just be okay with it. Um, To me, when I'm in a meeting room, I'm not really thinking about it as much as someone who hasn't grown up that way would. And, you know, I know that I can sort of have some confidence within myself that I've been there, I've done that. I know that people will find some, some sort of validity in what I'm saying because I'm speaking from like a place of knowledge or a place of, um, I don't know. I guess a place of just knowing what I'm talking about in certain situations. Yeah. Well, what does it mean to you that you're that you're a young black and a woman in design? I think it means a lot to me just that I wish that there were more of me. Mm-hmm. Um, not more of me, but I, more I people do too. like me. <laughs> right? Don't we all? Um, I think one thing I feel like sort of this responsibility to 
be more visible to other people. Um, I know when I was going through school, I didn't know that there were people like me um, who existed. And, you know, now that I'm here, I still don't know if they do. But I feel as if there's like an extra pressure on me to sort of make sure that I'm speaking in a certain way when I'm around people or even being a, an example to other girls who are like me. Um, I feel like if I was maybe not a minority, I could kind of fly under the radar and maybe get away with saying certain things. But when you're different, people are going to be looking at you to sort of see if you represent the stereotypes that they maybe consciously or unconsciously have. Um, so I think I'm someone who definitely does a lot of code switching. Like. I'm sure you've noticed the way that I speak to you is not the same way that I speak when someone comes into the room and asks me about a project. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> my vocabulary goes like, I have a lot of different vocabularies and I'm not even really conscious of switching it, but right. I know that I do. Right. Yeah. So what should we know? Like I'm, I'm a white male and there's tons of me in tech, right? There's mm-hmm. tons of me in design. Um, so what do you think it's important for, for me to know about what your experience is like? I think the most important thing is just to realize that there is some privilege there. Um, I think when you're a woman or when you're black or when you're any sort of a minority, um, you don't, you're not automatically trusted, Mm. um, which is kind of like a sadder thing to say, but I really, I do feel that way. Um, So I think just having sort of that knowledge to know that the other person may be uncomfortable in that situation it's just a different it's a different experience um because I'm like I not only do I need to make sure that like my design is right but I need to make sure that the way I'm speaking is correct um what I wear on certain days like some days I'm kind of just more on and other days I'm presentation mode um just knowing that there is a different experience I think is the most important thing yeah it's just a little bit more complicated but I think at the end of the day there's more things um, bringing us together we have more commonalities than Uh, differences and finding those is like the most important thing and just sort of celebrating what we all have in common I think. Do you feel like there's a best way to focus in on those commonalities? Yeah I I honestly think that it's just like having these sorts of conversations. Um, I know a lot of times we kind of like tenderfoot around certain topics and we don't want to talk about things like race or religion or you know anything that could be touchy yeah um but i think when you actually talk about it that's how you sort of open those lines of communication and you get to learn all these things that you wouldn't have known otherwise like on our team um i'm the only black person justin is now not the only white person but (laughs) like as of last week you know you would have been and then the rest of us are asian and i think i've learned a lot about the asian culture that i didn't know beforehand yeah just because i wasn't exposed to it and I think if we have those open lines of communication, you'll be more aware of, like, the little comments that you make that can be offensive or, you know, just making someone feel, like, not um, not comfortable in their skin at work is such a big thing. Yeah. I think also another component is not just, like, finding commonalities, but mm-hmm. also really celebrating the differences. Yeah, you mentioned, like, privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, for a lot of people, tough to reconcile because yeah. they don't feel like, you know, they're getting special treatment or right. it's not even special treatment it's just the way that um you're treated as normal but that's special right because not everyone else is treated normally right exactly yeah um and i think that a lot of people have a difficult time like claiming that or like understanding that or being mm. willing to say like that is true right um but i think that so for me like coming 
going back to kind of like growing up as a minority in Tokyo, where I kind of grew up a lot outside of the racial conversation in America. Right. Um, sure. But then coming here and like, I do have privilege as a white person. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like, man, like, what do I do with that? You yeah. know, like, what's the, what's the best thing? I think the, the one thing that I try to do is, is like, listen mm-hmm. and like having these conversations with you, like, this is so good. Like, this is like, yeah. this is, I love this stuff. Like, this is so good to know. So I think in, in being able to celebrate differences, you first have to kind of listen, like you were saying, you, you know, a lot more about Asian culture now. Right. Right. Um, and just being able to like, listen about those differences, I think is really cool too. Yeah. Um, kind of finding the best, that's the best way. Totally true. Along those lines, Uh-oh. we've been waiting to talk about oh, it. Lemonade. Lemonade. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I watched it last night, two nights ago. Okay. I watched it two nights you ago. Watched Sunday it or you watched it. You listened to it. I watched it. I watched it first. Okay. I watched the full hour. Good. And then yesterday, that's when I was like messaging you, like you gotta, you gotta watch it so we can talk about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. So, I'm I'm a Beyonce fan, but I am someone who like has to encounter music in the very, like, I'm very particular about how I will listen to an album the first time. And yesterday I was stressed out, and I was not going to listen to it or watch it, whatever. Yeah. Um, But I told my roommate that I had to watch it, and my roommate told my other roommates, and next thing you know, there's like 10 of us in our small (laughs) living room watching um, watching this album, which is a weird sentence. Um, and I messaged you, I was like, <laughs> it's so weird that I'm the only black person here. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like, if you watch the album, it's like very political and there's a lot yeah. of statements about race. Yeah. And I just realized like there are so many references that she's making that are flying above everyone else's heads. Yeah. Um, okay. There is this part, um, and I think they're in Texas, but it's Malcolm X speaking about how black women are the most undervalued yeah, people. Yeah. And I'm like saying on, I wish I could give you a picture of this, but I'm saying on the beanbag and then everyone else is on this couch. And um, so I can't really see other people's reactions. I can, I'm only focusing on the visual Yeah. and I can just hear them kind of snickering. And I don't know if they're snickering because of what's happening or because the visuals are so dramatic. Yeah. But like immediately, the first thing that it reminded me of was being like, in grade school hearing about slavery for the first time well I didn't hear about slavery for the first time in grade school but being like publicly hearing about it not from my parents um and feeling like everyone's eyes were kind of like watching me and I remember thinking like this is so awkward like I kind of just wish that we could fast forward past this part of the history lesson which is like so backwards because it's like they need to hear this I need to hear this we all need to know that this is part of our like American history yeah um but because we don't talk about it enough it's like such an uncomfortable moment that you just would rather not even have it yeah and that was sort of like wow this is like the adult version of this is watching the Beyonce album with friends of friends who I can't really snap at and be like this isn't funny or you know explain to them what's going on it's just like you know, more things change, more things stay the same. It's like, it's crazy that I'm still having this experience as an adult. Yeah. My, my response, because I also remember that specific part yeah. of the video. My response was embarrassment. Yeah. Because to hear, like, Malcolm X is talking about this yeah. a generation ago. Right. Right? right. And I hear those words in the context of this video. And, like, that's still true. Yeah, it's or relevant. Like, yeah, like, it's that's... sad. Yeah, it's sad. I was, like, so... That was, like, really crushing. I was, like, wow, like... I can't say that that's not true today. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that was 
that's rough. Yeah, it was like this powerful moment that I'm like, yes, like this is so true. Like, do they know who even is speaking right now? Like, like is this being lost on everyone? I almost want to turn around and be like, you guys know what's going on right now, right? Um, but like, to be honest, they didn't care. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I can either stop this visual to explain to them and probably make it uncomfortable for everyone, which I've done several times before, and it usually doesn't pan out that well. Or I can just try and uh, appreciate this for what it is right now. And, you know, for better or for worse, I chose to just appreciate it. Um, but, you know, even now I'm like, that was an opportunity to change them. Yes. Yeah. The New York Times has a newsletter that they just started. It's yeah. called, like, Race Related. They've okay. only sent out, like, two so far. Uh-huh. I subscribed, and the and the first the, f- the first two um, episodes have just been about people mailing in their stories of, mm-hmm. like, moments where like something like that happened yeah and just the struggle of like understanding how to respond to that in the right way because they all the stories expressed how they wanted to respond but mm-hmm. like maybe it wasn't the best time or the best way to do it or sometimes they did respond right. in, so um yeah I'm sure that's that's really tough but what you said about how you just kind of had to like enjoy this moment or or take in the moment for yourself mm-hmm. and kind of disregard the context. Yeah. When I finished watching it, mm-hmm. I, I, this might sound kind of weird, but like I wanted to cry. Yeah. But the tears wouldn't be mine. Yeah. In that, like the tears weren't mine to cry in right. that, like this was so powerful, but this was not written for me or to me. Yeah. Right. right. And like, like, this was, from start to finish, it was all about women and black women specifically. Right. And I think that the only response I could have in that, because um, I felt the pain, right? There's mm-hmm. just, I, I, I didn't catch every reference and all yeah. that stuff, but like I, I felt it, right? right. That's, that's crazy that she could create something that, you know, I, I could feel, right? Yeah. And still speak to right. you. But, um, so it was just so powerful. But I was like, man, like my, this wasn't to me. And I, and, like, I, I can stand in awe and, like, like I don't know, like, f- try to feel, like, be more aware of it. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it was really interesting. Like, it, it was so powerful, but it wasn't to me. Right. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I was thinking about while I was watching it is, like, I can't even remember the last time I think I've seen something so, like, visually appealing, so yeah. well-produced, yeah. so well-written, specifically for black women. And it was interesting for me because I'm thinking, like, wow, this is specifically made for someone like me, like, black woman, a designer, like, someone who loves music. Yeah. Like, this was, like, an emotional experience for me. And I'm, I'm realizing, like, because Beyonce used her platform in this way, so many people are going to see it and they're going to feel uncomfortable or appreciated, however they're going to respond but just for that to be part of the conversation, I'm like, this was a really great thing that she did for everyone. Yeah. And I just felt, like, almost proud of her in a weird way. Like, why am I proud of Beyonce? But, you know, like, it was, I thought it was really great just for the conversation to start from there. I mean, if you think about it, like, how many people out there right now could do something like that? Probably no one. Probably no one. I mean, like... Like, the commentary level, like, you could say that maybe, like, Kendrick Lamar is doing some of that, like, Mm -hmm. commentary-wise. But he doesn't have, like, the mainstream appeal. Yeah. Um, And you have, like, I don't know, like, maybe Drake, on the other hand, who's, like, very popular. Mm -hmm. But to my knowledge, he hasn't really used that platform for much. No. And then, 
Um, and those were both male too, right? right? But then the thing that I was just so excited about was seeing like Beyonce going a hundred percent in every capacity, like yeah. creativity wise, like yes. music wise, yeah. like one hundred percent, like everywhere yeah yeah i loved it yeah i, I mean even the cameos and the, the serena williams cameo died like i was <laughs> dying and like i mean i was dying because i love serena williams like you know this yeah. <laughs> but on top of that it was just like to see that body type being celebrated i thought that was like so powerful because typically in a music video you'll either see a very thin tall woman or you'll see, you know, like a busty, like, video fixin' type of a girl. Sure, yeah. And for Serena Williams to be, like, so strong and so powerful and in that plantation setting, yeah. I'm like, that's that's powerful. Like, we're still kind of playing in this white man's world in the same way that they were in the plantation house. Yeah, that was something I was wondering about. Um, like, a lot of, like, the clothing stuff was, like, Victorian. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't sure if I, like, fully understood the symbolism yeah. there. Do you, yeah. So a lot of the clothing was more of, like, an allusion to, like, slavery. Right. And um, I think what they were saying, at least my interpretation of it, yeah. um, for it to be set in a plantation and for it to be set in the South at differing time periods was just sort of saying that, like, yes, we've moved forward as a society, but a lot has still changed, and it's, like... She shows people in the hood of Texas, but then you also see in the plantation. So I felt like it was linking back, like, the mindset of slavery from, you know, the past to the present. And that we're still sort of in these figurative shackles. Yeah. That's kind of how I interpret it. Yeah. It's super interesting because you have, like, Jay-Z, who's, like, black, but New York. Right. right. And yeah. then this is, like, one of the few times I, f I feel like maybe recently mm. um, that, like, black from the South yeah. has really been, like... Like, there's a lot of complexity there. Yeah, yeah. And, like, she just kind of, like, went fully into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really nice to just see that being celebrated and not watered down. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're going to drink it, and you're going to drink all of it. Yeah. <laughs> like it or not, like, this is what it is. Yeah. And I feel like I can't even remember a time to see, like, those sorts of, like, different things from, like, black Southern culture being celebrated. I'm not from the South, right. but um, my family, I have a lot of family in the South. Yeah. And if you're going to see cornrows be celebrated, it's going to be on, like, Kylie Jenner or Kim Kardashian. Wow, yeah. If you're going to see, like, a big butt being praised as not, like, a sexual thing, it's going to be on someone who isn't black. And to see it be on these women and see it be as, like, a powerful thing or as a beautiful thing, I was like, this is really great. Yeah. And I wish I had had that growing up. But yeah. I'm happy to see that there will be people who do get to grow up with this. Yeah, that's so cool because, like, that's, like, none of that stuff... I would never have known about that stuff unless I had talked to yeah. you about it. So, yeah. yeah, I just learned a ton from Beyonce's video. Yeah, yeah no, but from someone, <laughs> from someone who is too, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I read this letter and I was like, I, I, I get it, but it's not to me. And yeah. you know, to talk to someone who the letter was addressed to um, is really cool. Yeah. And it gives a lot, of, a lot of different... Do you have any other Beyonce thoughts? I have so many Beyonce <laughs> thoughts. Um... I guess I'll make one little point. Okay. Is that I felt like this was, like, modern-day art. Like, this... Yeah. That was, like, you know, people, like, you have, like, what is it, like, all the different pop styles of mm -hmm. art, you know, like, in the past it was paintings, and, like, there were different pieces that sort of define generations, and I felt like... For me, I don't really see one for ours, but I felt like this is one of those things that I hope become something that people look back on yeah like this was it was tight like not in the 90s way tight like it was tightly produced and i felt like just kudos to beyonce for 
you know, producing something so, so powerful. You heard it here first. Kudos to Beyonce. Yeah, kudos to Beyonce for real. <laughs> I love Jay. Like, I'm still geeking out over it. No, the, the, I think the coolest thing about it was, because she kind of did a similar format with her last album, mm-hmm. right, where there's, like, a music video for every song. Yeah. Like, but, like, they were separated from each other, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this was for the first time I've ever seen where a video has actually given more meaning to the songs. Yeah. And that, like, you had to watch the video t- in order to understand the album musically. Yes. And that's, like, that's crazy. Like, that, yeah. that's super cool. Like, I don't think that's ever been done before, at least done successfully before. No. Because she was even uh, setting things up in um, formation. Did you catch that? I did, because, like, the the styles, like, her hair was the same way, and, like, mm-hmm. formation is, like, other ways that, you know, they had to have been shot collectively. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, pop stars don't do that because they don't have to, and they assume that their audience is, like, not going to catch up to it. And, you know, the one line in uh, formation is that she's, like, got hot sauce in her bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah. When, that, when that came out, like, on Twitter, people were going crazy. And it's like, yeah, like, I know people who carry hot sauce in their bags. Like, I, I know people who carry hot sauce in their bags. <laughs> like, that's so hood. And it's just, like, it's genius, though. Like, if you want hot sauce on your food, carry it in your bag. Yeah. And so we all sort of celebrated that as, like, this very, you know, hashtag relatable right. um, thing. But... You know, as she released these videos, she's saying the hot sauce, you know, is maybe more than one thing. Maybe it's going to be her tool to get revenge. And it's like, you know, maybe it's that like celebrating ghetto-ness. Like, is that our tool for, mm-hmm. you know, the future? Like anything that's like considered ratchet in another yeah. way, you could say that's ingenious. Like there's something really smart about being able to do something and not caring how it's interpreted. And I thought like that was such a such a good line and yeah. I'm like still dying over it yeah. like in the vision <sighs> yeah major plot twist yeah for the hot sauce like, there bam I <laughs> yeah. loved it yeah um there are a ton of great lines yeah one of the ones I loved was ashes to ashes dust to side chicks yeah poetry part yes. yeah I was like that's gonna be on t-shirts pretty soon I would wear that um and then so I, I well you taught me right before we started you taught me a new thing about Becky with the good hair can you explain that <laughs> yeah. one more time um, so <laughs> Becky with the good hair like I think a lot of people saw that immediately as Rachel Roy mm-hmm. um, but another way to interpret it and this was another good moment as we were watching it everyone was like what are they talking about like what is Becky and what is good hair and both of those things are two very common phrases um, yeah not in my current life because of where I work, but, like, maybe if I was back home. You know, Becky is slang for, like, a white girl. And if you want to hear more about it, you can listen to Ply's song, Becky, and it's pretty... It's in SFW, highly, but, you know, it's a a disrespectful phrase. And, you know, good hair is the whole thing about not having kinky hair. Right. So she's saying, basically, you know, maybe it's Rachel Roy, but maybe it's just, like, a non-opinionated black woman, you know. Um, that if you want to find someone else, like maybe you should find someone like a Becky yeah. or like a Rachel Roy. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was funny right after I watched the video, I was type. I don't know if it was typing into Google or Twitter. Yeah. Um, I was, sh- I don't know why, but I started typing in like, I always started with a W or like maybe WH or something. Mm-hmm. And the first result, or one of the first results, is who is Becky with the good hair? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't like I didn't think about it because I, I wasn't interested in finding out the time. Right, but, right, right. Yeah, that's super interesting. All the yeah, again, like who the letter isn't to right. is like trying to figure. Yeah, out it's like that Kanye West line in uh, Gold Digger. 
uh, <laughs> how's it go? When he gets on, he'll leave your behind for yeah. a white girl. Yeah, it's like yeah, that yeah. whole that whole sentiment is uh, still something that's relevant. And I was happy to hear Beyonce say it. Um, I just thought it was another powerful thing that she decided to say, which is definitely polarizing. But she had the balls to say it. Yeah, the coolest thing. I think also is the album was super complex where mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of times especially in, in like music it's so simplified into like I don't need a man or I don't need a woman or I do need a man I do need a woman right. and this was like very like complex of like I chose you and then you like chose someone else and that hurts yeah and like my favorite line is like like when you have the baddest baddest woman in the game your shades I was like what <laughs> you know? but she like she like is totally knows who she is but at the same time she's dealing with like these insecurities that come out of that right it's just like very complex and like a holistic picture yeah and i thought that that was really cool too yeah um last last line that i really loved what is it was uh, actually two okay give me two so um the first one was i think it was in the spoken poetry part Uh but uh it was like my grand i think the spoken word is, my grandma said, nothing real can be threatened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's Chills. so deep. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, because she, she's saying everything she's doing real. Like, mm-hmm. you can say whatever you want about it. You can try to do things, but it's like, it's real. And like, yeah. it can't be threatened. Yeah. yeah. That's a universal truth as well. Yeah. Doing things from a genuine place, it really can't be threatened. People like, can try to take you down, but yeah. it's real at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, I thought that was super powerful. And then the title lemonade mm-hmm. and it's jay-z's grandma this time around and her oh, 90th really? birthday party know. yeah that's I who was it like, was who is this oh lady? maybe that's what i looked up anyway yeah. um yeah that was jay-z's grandma huh. and she said um yeah i was given lemons mm-hmm. and i made lemonade loved it As from a 90 year old black woman like mm-hmm. that phrase yeah it's crazy who knows what she's been through exactly yeah. i was so the thing that i thought back to was um, one of the past times I was in Atlanta, I was taking an Uber to the airport, mm-hmm. and it was an it was a more elderly black woman driving. Really? Yeah, and she um, mm-hmm. she said that she I came up that I was going back to California, mm-hmm. and she mentioned that she went to UCLA in like the sixties. Oh and wow! And so I put two and two together pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And I was like, wow. So I was like, tell me a little bit about your experience. And she she said that she was in class, mm-hmm. and uh, the professor was handing back tests. And he walks up to her desk and, and addresses the whole class. Mm-hmm. And he says, there's some students who are A students and there's uh, some students who are C students. No. And that is not going to change. Yeah. And then he puts the test down on her Dang. desk. Like, that's great. Like, to have an entire, like, to be, like, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, that's a lemon. Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mountain. Right. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not a lemon. That's a mountain. Yeah. Um, but just, like, wow. when I heard that line, that's what I kind of thought back to. Like, this is what... This is what they've been through. This is what they're still going through. Yeah. Um, so just being able to call the album Lemonade and, like, the amount of, um, you know, dedication, determination it takes to turn it into Lemonade. Right. And everything. So yeah, I just thought that was super cool, super powerful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, well, cool. Well, thanks, Ion, for being on the very first episode of Shape.Cool. Shape.Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything else? Where can people, where can people, all, all millions of my listeners. Right. <laughs> um, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, anything you want to on? Oh, to like follow me yeah, on? follow you on, yeah. At Ayan's Modern Life on everything. On everything. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep it consistent. That's like a design rule, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really glad to be on the first episode. Yeah, this no, I'm super. special. Thanks. Definitely.